Hello, welcome to Dis- Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Bear with Audubon, Louisiana. Uh, we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. And this is Simone Malaz from Restore or Retreat. Simone made it in just in the nick of time. <laughs> I'm always teasing them. They should give me a key to the building. It's <laughs> like they think, you know. But um, you made it. You're here. I That's did. what's important. I did. I did. How was your week? You know, it's busy, but going well. And I know we're all kind of collectively holding our breaths and Another also monitoring. Name. Every week we talk about a different name. Nate is this week's. Yeah, well, we had, you know, we had our meteorologist friend on mm-hmm. at the beginning of the hurricane season. And he did say that they were predicting it was going to be an above average season. And it certainly has been. We should have Alex back on, too. This week I went to LSU and part of their College for the Coast. I met a gentleman and uh, his whole body of work is about uh, studying historic hurricanes. But like going back hundreds and thousands of years. And I told him, I was like, you need to be a guest on our show. Yes, he does. That would be so interesting. I mean, you hear about these storms that happened before we had like tracking capabilities, but thinking about it in terms of centuries or even longer. Do you think like as a little kid, he was just like, I wonder what the history of hurricanes are, but not, not just a hundred years, but like Hundreds of thousands. I think I can't even begin to imagine how you begin to measure that. But anyway, to get serious, I mean, you know, it's important that folks stay on top of the news, get a plan. Um, We've had folks from the governor's office of Homeland Security and emergency preparedness (laughs) on GOSEP and their website is getagameplan.org. And you can go and find all the resources you need, plans you need for your families, and then just stay on top of the news. You know, we just have to monitor it, hope for the best, hope that it moves out quickly. Yeah, sounds like it'll be pretty quick. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Uh, We're talking about financing. Once again, this uh, is always a a good conversation for us to have. Certainly, uh, we have a great plan. Uh, We like to talk about parts of that plan, how to implement it, the projects within it. But, you know, what good is a plan if you don't have the money to execute it? So today we're going to talk about some new innovative ways of financing, and maybe we'll find out that they're not so new or Definitely innovative, but yeah, maybe not so new. Absolutely, and and that they're a huge opportunity, right? Because sure. it's not just a matter of getting the money here, but how can we achieve cost savings over time? And then how can you do more with the money that's coming? Yeah, so definitely our first guest that we're going to have on today uh, is going to talk about a particular way that we can do some of that innovative financing that comes together with some of Restore Retreat's work on the bigger financing picture. Right. So let's introduce her. Yeah, so um, on the show, welcome to Delta Dispatches, is Shannon Kniff, uh, Director of Coastal Resilience with Environmental Defense Fund. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Shannon. And me. Of course. And so um, you've had a lot of experience working in government and the Environmental Defense Fund as well. So tell us a little bit about your background um, and what you do at um, EDF. Well, you know, that may take more time than we have. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, few, though, Shannon. Let's hear it. <laughs> a few, a few abitas later. Yes, um, I like it. <laughs> so, like, I've been working on flooding issues my entire career for different agencies in the federal government, including the Corps of Engineers and EPA. And, um, you know, like the kinds of things that I'm doing all my career is about really getting out in front of these uh, flooding problems so they don't have, the disasters don't have this massive effect on our communities, you know, because these disasters that we've seen over the last, you know, two months have a tremendous effect on both the social and economic and environmental fabric of our communities. So that's really what, you know, that's sort of what I do and why I do it. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it's incredibly relevant. It's been for a while, and it seems, I don't know, it just get, it's getting only more so. Um, and really, the focus on 
how can we do more in advance of these storms or disasters? And it's certainly something that's common to all the United States, right? So Shannon did a lot of Midwest work, but obviously we're talking about it today, even in in South Louisiana. So uh, flood uh, knows no uh, region, right? No state borders, yeah. (laughs) So Shannon, EDF earlier this week announced it is going to be designing the first ever environmental impact bond for wetland restoration. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, an environmental impact bond is basically a new kind of financial tool that um, rewards investment and connects it with measurable environmental outcomes. So this gets wonky super fast. So let me just sort of put it a different way. So like any bond, environmental impact bond, makes cash available up front to, in this case, to restore Louisiana's wetlands. But what makes it special is that it's really designed to establish up front a desired outcome and then pay interest to investors based on the quality or the success of achieving that outcome. So it's basically like a mechanism to share risk between the state, the contractor that's implementing the project, and investors. But what's really cool about it is, at least what I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cool too, Shannon. (laughs) But I think that this project provides us with a really interesting opportunity to start to demonstrate the value of wetland restoration to stakeholders in the region. So the idea is that we're trying to design into this transaction a way to begin to identify the benefits that accrue to those stakeholders and build their interest, not only in just wetland restoration projects, but enough so that they might actually be willing to contribute to the repayment of the bond. In other words, we might be able to attract people other than CPRA as a way to pay for wetland restoration. Yeah, I think, you know, Shannon, when you sum it up like that, it sounds simple, right? You build it, you do it well, I'll pay you for it. Maybe I'll give you a little extra, right? You know, or, or that's a good way to do it, especially, you know, we need to be creative here in, in South Louisiana because we do have such structured payments and, and in some cases we don't have enough money at all. So specifically, how will this EIB save money? Well, that's sort of what's, what's interesting about it. So we can save the state money basically by providing the financing earlier, allowing projects to be built sooner. Because the longer we wait to build the projects, the more the construction costs go up. Exactly. And the more sediment has to be placed to compensate for sea level rise and subsidence of the delta. And Shannon, too, there's also a cost of, you know, it's more important to, you know, some of these projects, we need to have that land now, not not just the, the cost of it, right? That in, in terms of environmentally, it's better to have the land restored faster, sooner. Exactly, exactly. So, like, you know, I mean, I ha- we did a little bit of an analysis when we were um, de- designing sort of the, the, this concept. And we basically said, well, what if... We had a 10-year bond uh, that basically accelerated the start of just one wetland project, like a 6,700-acre wetland project, and we accelerated it by 10 years. What kind of savings could be generated? The lowest-case scenario for this, based on the assumptions that we made, which were all very reasonable because we were trying to make it real-world, was it could save $130 million. Whoa. One project, 10 years. Yeah, so that's the so whole other project in our world, right, Shannon? Exactly. So it could, you know, and if you start to scale this up, 
and multiply it over many projects, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And as your point was before, that doesn't count the added benefit of preventing right, future right. loss of other wetlands because you're protecting. Buy one, get one free. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's so important. I mean, you know, in terms of getting projects on the ground sooner, that just means that, you know, we'll have more marsh to hopefully serve as a buffer right. against these, right. some of these storms. More and habitat. That sort of thing. All more of habitat. It. So it's a win, 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 win. So Shannon, can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're, you're working with CPRA and others to design the first um, environmental impact bond for wetland restoration. What are you hoping this project will do kind of at a larger scale? Sure. So, you know, ultimately it's three things. Save Louisiana money, restore the wetlands sooner, and then begin to demonstrate the value of those wet the wetland restoration to others so that they'll become payers. So the idea is not only you're getting the in private sector investing, but you're also bringing new payers in. So, you know, if we can do that once, then the idea is let's scale it up and do it a whole bunch of times. Yeah. So, um, Shannon, we're going to have to take a break in just a second, but we want to talk to you more about um, has this been done elsewhere and, and things like that. So uh, hang on, Shannon, with us. Uh, we'll be back after the break. This is Simone Malaz with Delta Dispatches. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana, and we are here with Shannon Kniff, Director of Coastal Resilience with the Environmental Defense Fund, and we are discussing a great initiative that um, Environmental Defense Fund announced this week in that they're working to build or create, design the first environmental impact bond uh, for wetland restoration. Shannon's willing to figure out the hard stuff, right, Shannon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no easy task. Well, Shannon, we want to get back in, but before we do, I know you're very active on Twitter because I follow you myself. Me too. Um, I get a lot of really great news and articles and just thought leadership from you. So can you tell everyone um, what your Twitter handle is so they can follow you? Sure. I'd love more followers. It's Water Witch. <laughs> I am still a little bit of science so that it's actually H 
H2O. Oh, funny. Mm-hmm. At H2O Witch. And I highly recommend Shannon. She's someone who gives a lot of really great information and, and really keeps me on the ball in terms of um, following the important stories. So, Shannon, I want to talk a little bit about um, just environmental impact bonds in general. Um, I know this is the first for wetland restoration, but where else have they been done? And can you talk a little bit about how they have worked um, in other places? Sure. Well, I'm only aware of one, maybe two others that have been done. The one that's been done that that I am most familiar with is one that was done in Washington, D.C. with D.C. Water and Sewer. Mm -hmm. And basically, it was to uh, do a test on whether green infrastructure would do enough to reduce the amount of stormwater runoff coming off the city. Yes. Go ahead. No, 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 Shannon. I was just going to say in our finance report, um, a lot of people talked about that example of D.C. water. I mean, that's that's pretty complex, right? Um, and that uh, they started this first successful EIB. And actually, I think they went back after that um, because the first one was so successful to do more water projects and figure out creative financing around that. Maybe not necessarily an EIB, but that, hey, there's other ways that we can solve this problem. Right. And what we did, very sneaky on our part, is we hired the firm that nice. put Good together job, that deal. <laughs> so Good we job. got Quantified Ventures on as a partner with us. Uh, so we're tapping into that experience and their creativity to help make it work for Louisiana. So tell us who else um, besides Environmental Defense Fund and Quantified Ventures are involved in this project? Well, I would be remiss to not mention that we are doing this because we got a grant through the Nature Conservancy's Nature Vest. Um, It's an accelerator grant specifically for conservation financing. So uh, they're certainly a financial partner, very interested in the outcome and very active in Louisiana as well. And then, um, of course, I think you mentioned this already, that CPRA is a partner in this as well, providing us with advice and insights as we work through this project. Yeah, so they have a vested interest, right, (laughs) in in its outcome. Saving their money and getting their projects on the ground. Exactly. So, Shannon, what... What, how, what brought you to this in the first place? How, how did, what led you to this particular initiative? To the environmental impact yeah. bond? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's a confluence of factors. I personally, professionally, have been very frustrated by the fact that, you know, flood disasters cost this nation a heck of a lot of money, and those costs are only going up. I mean, half a trillion dollars um, in the last 17 years, and that's before you even count Harvey, Irma, Maria, and, and Nate. <laughs> and Nate. <laughs> um, yeah, we hope that doesn't get that bad. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I really believe that there's a way to get out in front of this, and the communities um, and states can do more. And so looking at the problems that the, you know, the Coastal Master Plan has in terms of financing, I mean, they've got a $50 billion plan. My understanding is they only have about $20 billion earmarked, you know, known sources of funding that could be used. So we've got to fill that gap. And so um, I'm never one to shrink from a challenge. Uh, <laughs> the idea was to try to figure out different ideas. And we've been thinking about this for about a year and did a expert surveys, had a workshop, and this was one of the ideas that came out of that workshop that we had just last January. You know, it's so interesting what you're saying about kind of this being one of the first places that this is being done, at least on the wetland restoration side. It really fits into 
kind of one of the things that we focus on in terms of Louisiana and through the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, really being a leader on a lot of these issues in terms of, um, you know, water management, coastal restoration, and now even financing. Um, so your contributions there are just so exciting here in, in Louisiana. Um, but like, tell us a little bit, Shannon, where else do you expect this could be used beyond Louisiana? Well, that's what's so cool about it. I mean, so obviously elsewhere in Louisiana, as you mentioned, but, you know, I think that any of the Gulf states uh, that have money coming in through the Restore Act might be able to use this same mechanism to get basically more out of that money. Um, And I have every reason to believe that this could work for any sort of coastal resilience project or even floodplain management projects. Basically, you need to have, you know, some uncertainty, like some kind of risk, mm-hmm. and you need to have some flow of money, you know, so a, you know, ability to, um, you know, tax or an ability, you know, have an oil spill, not that that's what you want, but, you know, some kind of source of money that's coming in so that you can issue a bond. And so for this project specifically, um, what are kind of some of the next steps? And can you talk through a bit of the timeline for people? Yeah, So um, what we're trying to do is by next summer come up with a report that describes what a transaction could look like. So what are the, you know, where, what wetlands might be suitable under the, in the coastal master plan. Um, That's in the process where we are right now is trying to identify which would make a good, you know, way to start, good place to start. Um, Come up with the terms of the transaction in the sense of, um, who could the investors be? What would the performance measures be that you would use for, you know, pay for success? Because that's an important component of this. And then, and just assess the overall feasibility. So, you know, really do the economic analysis and say, is this a feasible, you know, mechanism that we could put on market and attract investors? Yeah, and. Um I, you know, it, it is really interesting, and we're going to certainly stay up to date on it ourselves and hopefully have you back on as as it develops further. But where can people go to learn more um, about this uh, project and support the work of Environmental Defense Fund? Yeah, just in case I confused and befuddled everybody. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it's edf.org slash impact bond is a new website that we just set up this week. Nice. And it's got some nice descriptions right now, and we, you know, we'll be adding to it as we go through some of these key phases, so that people can see what we've done and what we're thinking. So, Shannon, are you working on anything else? Cool. <laughs> I know well, you are. <laughs> the uh, the hurricanes have certainly kept me busy. I bet. A lot of people have been asking uh, about coastal resilience and how to incorporate natural infrastructure into their um, into their activities. And um, uh, did you hear that phone ring? Calling. <laughs> they're coming. They're, they they want they're, your expertise on, on what's going on. They're literally calling yeah. right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, Shannon. So, so that's, that's a that's, that's a, been a big thing. Yeah, and that's certainly risen um, to the top of people's priorities during this storm season. It's something that maybe we're no stranger to in Louisiana, but can always be better at. So, uh, anything else that you're working on? Well, one of the things we're trying to do is um, ex- better establish what the um, performance of wetlands and other, you know, features like barrier islands and broad beaches are have in terms of attenuating waves and, you know, reducing um, inland flow of water. 
So in other words, to try to put them on a more equal footing in the sense of an engineer understands, here's the incremental added value of putting a wetland in front of a levee, for example. That's great, Shannon. And, and um, you know, I think it's so interesting because one of the things I've found, I mean, and sad, you need that these these natural disasters as a reminder, but, you know, in places like Houston and, you know, Miami, they're having conversations that we've been having in Louisiana, obviously, because of yeah. Katrina. And so only this work is only going to get more important and more relevant. So, Shannon, we did give you fair warning that you have to answer a, a fun question <laughs> when you come on Delta Dispatches. Um, so I guess my question to you is, what is your favorite po' boy? You know, um, <laughs> I, the only ones I've had are oyster ones. Oh, really? Go. Most people don't go there first, Shannon. <laughs> I like half oyster, half shrimp because I what like they, the best of both uh, worlds. What do they call that? Peacemakers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you again so much for being on Delta yeah, Dispatches. We hope it was to have really you back great to have again. you. And one more time, um, please give everyone your Twitter handle as well as where people can go to learn more about this report. Sure. It's at H2O Witch. And the uh, website is edf.org slash impact bond. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll be back after the break. All right. Take care. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. This is Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And this is Samoa Laws with Restore or Retreat. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO and online through our new podcast, 
Check out the Restore the Mississippi River Delta website and the Restore or Retreat website and the Facebook pages, the Twitter. Simone, I know you guys had a big day, with a burrito day. How'd that <laughs> I go? know. Um, so, uh, you were making me hungry with all your posts. I know. So we had uh, Restore Retreat had Chipotle fundraiser in Homa on Tuesday. But last night, the Malazas celebrated Taco National Taco Day. Oh, it was last night Taco Day? Uh, hello. Well, you think it would be on a Thursday or no Taco Tuesday? Yeah. Okay. Well, last year Taco Tuesday and National Taco Day was on the same day, oh and everybody's gosh. like, "This is it. This is it, people." <laughs> so you've been having you a lot of burritos. You were too busy at Moscas eating eating a taco. Let me tell you, oysters, Moscas. Mm-hmm. You brought your cash? Yeah, I brought my cash. <laughs> I had to go to the ATM. I was like, my wallet was so thick. I was prepared though, but it was delicious. Uh, yay! We have Megan Terrell on. She is the legal advisor for Coastal Activities. She works as Coastal Activities, Environment, and Natural Resources for the governor's office. She's been with them since February of 2016. Prior to that, she was at the Louisiana Department of Justice, where she serves as the deputy director of the Civil Division and chief of the environmental section. That all sounds very important. No big deal. Yeah. She's, I mean, <laughs> I know, I mean right? literally like at the most crucial time in right. our state's environmental legal uh She's an LSU law grad. She's an LSU grad, and she comes from Lafayette. She also comes with a very strong endorsement from avid listener Chip Klein um, of the governor's office. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for having me. Um, so Chip told us some stories. We'll save those for later. <laughs> but, like to tell stories. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to talk to you about what you do. So tell us what you do for the governor's office. Yeah, sure. So uh, a little bit of everything, really. So I know one of one of CPRA's uh, prime goals uh, here recently has been this concept of getting private investment into coastal restoration. So I'm working on a couple of projects in, in that realm, and I also work on some of the natural resource damage uh, restoration planning. Uh, I mean, really just a lot of legislation over the past couple of years, really just anything uh, related to CPRA that they need me to work on, I'm happy to step in. So, Megan, so you are kind of assigned to CPRA, but you really work for the Attorney General's office, or how how's that relationship work? No, I, I used to work for the Attorney okay. General's office, and then in, in 2016, I jumped over here to the Governor's Office of Coca- gotcha. Coastal Activities, yeah. the, okay. the GOCA office, right? So we're sort of the policy arm of CPRA. Right, and you have that sweet office in the state capitol. Absolutely. How, what's that like working in the capitol, good uh, and it, bad? It, it, it's good. I'll tell you that... Uh, the good and the bad is that you're right here where everything happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you get called down to committee hearings more often than you'd like. I think, exactly. I think <laughs> she you can just get there so quickly because you're right here. So. Yeah, I think she hates those. Megan, get downstairs right now, uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching committee online. So, um, so also you get to work work with the governor's attorney, Matthew Bloxham. I do. I do. I work with Matthew often. So Matthew's from Thibodeau. Shout out. Shout out. Yes. Um, so uh, we appreciate his work there. We definitely appreciate yours. We brought you along today because you work with Shannon Kniff and you're part of this environmental impact bond uh, business. Right? That's right. Right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. That required some legislation and, and some things on your part. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. CPRA uh, helped work on the legislation um, that authorized CPRA to work on this type of what we call alternative delivery system. So it's really just a new outcome-based performance contracting that allows CPRA to look at these private investors to build our coastal restoration projects and pay for them over time instead of CPRA having to front the cost 
And the real benefits of these types of contracts, also they're also referred to as the pay-for-success contracts, is that we pay only when certain performance milestones are met. So it's really a way to help us shift some of the risk over to these private investors and ensure that the success milestones are met before CPRA pays out any funding. Yeah, so those terms are interchangeable um, because we, we, I always say pay for success, but, and then in the, I guess the vehicle is this environmental impact bond, right? Yeah, the, the environmental impact bond is one of the vehicles by which one of these pay for success projects could be implemented. So, Megan, you envision that master plan projects are a prime uh, target for these kind of pay-for-success initiatives, correct? Yes. CPRA is really focusing on marsh creation and restoration projects. We think those are probably the best projects for the pay-for-success model. Because it's easy to evaluate success. I guess easier. Exactly. I mean, the types of performance milestones you'd be looking at for a marsh creation or restoration project are pretty simple. You're looking at really the acreage that can be built or restored and the elevation of that acreage, both at at the end of construction, but also over time. Yeah, and I know Shannon hit on this a little bit, but um, in terms of marsh creation, right, the costs only increase over time as you know, the land subsides more, it gets deeper, it costs more, you yeah, need more sediment. Business right. also could go up too, mm-hmm. right? So um, talk a little bit about, you know, the private investment and in, in wetland restoration and what potential you see there for projects, um, you know, outside of CPRA, but for some of those private investors to get involved. Yeah, so I think that's a lot of what uh, EDF is doing. We've, we've partnered with them on developing this feasibility study for the environmental impact bond. And, and part of what they're looking at that we're really excited about is what types of private investors may be willing to come in. And you're going to look at the types of entities that benefit from coastal restoration. So whether that's you know, oil and gas interest, shipping interest, large landowners. You could typically even be or potentially even be looking at uh, property insurers, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if we can increase the risk resilience um, for property and reduce some of that storm surge, uh, there's a potential for property insurance rates to go down if we can help protect, protect houses and, and uh, protect property. Yeah, that's so interesting. Jacques and I were talking about this during the break about you know, how this works. And of course, you have some companies here that that say, hey, state, I can do this. You know, I can if you give me this kind of job with the, the within these parameters that I need to meet these milestones that I'm already right here next door, I can build it for this, I can build it for cheaper, I can build it for faster, you know, and so you really want to test what they're telling you too, right? You know, you want to test those, um, not only the companies, but those people who really do have that significant investment here in Louisiana. You also had the same idea with NERDA banking, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was a law, uh, another piece of legislation we had passed in the 2016 session. And what the Natural Resource Damage Restoration Banking does is it authorizes CPRA to develop the program, and I'm, I'm happy to say that we have done so. We spent uh, one year developing and promulgating regulations, working closely with our oil spill coordinator's office, and, and so those are, are done and we're open for business. And the way restoration banks work is that uh, a private entity like, like a mitigation banker, it, it works similar to the wetlands mitigation banking, um, the bank sponsor will come in and propose a project that is either a master plan project or an increment of a master plan project um, or consistent with our master plan. And the idea is that they would build the projects, they earn credits, um, and, and, and like pay for success, they earn credits when they meet performance milestones that CPRA works out on the front end, and then 
when there is an oil spill, and most of our oil spills in Louisiana, you know, don't think Deepwater Horizon. They're 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 typically your smaller and and smaller injuries and less complex injuries. So an oil spill happens, and rather than the responsible party going out and, and restoring the injury on their own or potentially a cash settlement, which kind of piecemeals restoration, they would potentially be authorized by the trustees to purchase these credits from the restoration banks. Megan, that is so smart. Not only do you get to ensure that the projects are consistent with the, the master plan, but it, it just makes it easier for you guys to, and, and makes it easier, easier for the companies to join in, right? So it was that something, it's obviously new to Louisiana, but is that something that other states were doing? How did y'all get the idea to do that? Yeah, this, as far as I understand, this really is a first of its kind in the nation. So CPRA is sort of out there again, blazing trails. I think there are a couple of other states that use similar what we call compensation schedules, which Mm -hmm. is just sort of a schedule to quickly determine an injury from a spill. Um, But this is really the first of the restoration banking and then tying it to uh, oil spill. So we're, we're really excited about the program. And you talked about how long it, it took to make the rules, but the devil's in the details of all of that and how you figure this out. And same with the environmental impact bonds or pay for success, right? You, your, one of your jobs is to think about every single thing that could happen <laughs> or could go wrong or, or could. And, and so I find that so interesting that, that you'll have to do so much work on the front end. I, th- I don't think everybody appreciates that either, um, that y'all do so much work on the front end to make sure that when it's time for implementation, it can be really smooth. So, Yeah, I think that that's absolutely correct. And, and we're sort of embarking on the same effort on our, on our pay for success program right now and really looking at how we're going to get solicitations out there and what the performance milestones are going to be. So it's definitely a lot of work to get there, but we're really excited about it. Okay. Well, uh, uh, Megan, if you want to stay with us, we'll come back with you after the break. We want to talk about your work um, during the BP oil spill. And the the good stories. Yeah, Yeah. we want to get to some fun questions. Uh, So if you hang on with us through the break, we'll be back. This is Simone Laws. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Today, we're discussing a really important topic, financing. So we had um, Shannon Kniff with Environmental Defense Fund on earlier talking about an exciting initiative they have to design the first environmental impact bond for wetland restoration here in Louisiana. And we're excited to have Megan Terrell, um, legal advisor for coastal activities with the governor's office of coastal activities back on the show. So Megan, we promised uh, our listeners we would ask some fun questions. Um, So you were working kind of for the attorney general's office during the oil spill, um, you know, which must have been still to this day, some such an incredible experience in terms of the legality and working through that. Um, Any good stories you want to share? Yeah, I have uh, several good stories and, and some that I would say were maybe not good, but interesting, although contrary to, to Chip's 
statements. <laughs> I did not write a song about. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I believe still. that. I heard there's a Kevin Costner story in uh, there, there somewhere. Well, there the Kevin Costner did write a song about the oil spill. <laughs> oh! And uh, yeah, interestingly enough, I, I did meet him after the oil spill. He was here with a, a company that he owns that had some centrifuges that were trying to mm-hmm, use to clean mm-hmm. up the oil spill. So certainly, when I when I got into that, the last thing I thought is that I would meet and and. Uh, become somewhat friends with Kevin Costner uh, briefly. So, like six degrees of, of Kevin Costner, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So he's the one that has the song about the oil spill. Ah, we'll have to get a couple of drinks in somebody well, and get get that story. I guess That's that brings right. up. We can, we can talk about that over <laughs> that you're having with Shannon. I guess that brings up uh, your fun question. So, what is your favorite Kevin Costner movie? Favorite Kevin Costner. There's only movie. a couple, right? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Dances right. with the Wolves. Is Fields of Dreams. Yeah, Dances, Dances with Wolves is definitely up there. And then one of the uh, the recent ones, I think, was uh, Black and White, which is a really good movie. Oh, yeah. Wasn't he JFK? No, yeah. He, he was. was yeah. yeah. That was a lot of that was uh, set yeah. in New Orleans. I really liked uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> I have a friend that little her little brother watched it so much that the tape wore out. <laughs> okay, back to serious stuff. So tell us about working during that the BP oil spills. What was that like? Is that did you always think that you were going to do that kind of work? I was always interested in environmental law, certainly, and and I, I was very fortunate that not long after law school, one of my environmental law professors actually called and said, "Hey, there's an an opening. They're looking for a young attorney uh, at the attorney general's office." and I said, "Yeah, hey, sign me up." And and uh, I've I've uh, had the unfortunate pleasure, <laughs> I suppose, of of having worked on a lot of um, disasters in Louisiana, which which isn't great, but it's made for an interesting career. Right so place, was, wrong time. Was, yeah, exactly. Bad I was time there for Hurricane Katrina mm. and several of the other hurricanes, and then of course uh, the BP oil spill. So it it was uh, it was interesting. It was it was busy, and um, there was a, a lot of work to be done. And I think. That's also why I'm really excited to be over here now at, at Coastal Activities and working on the coastal restoration side because it's just sort of picking up from the BP oil spill and now trying to clean up and restore our coast. So you're kind of like me. I, I came in uh, before Katrina in the January before Katrina and, you know, in a way that was one of the best times because all the rules changed anyway. Everything changed anyway after Katrina and certainly Rita and then Ike and Gusoff and then the oil spill. And so... You know, to be there kind of while they're rewriting that stuff or things are just changing so quick, it's actually sometimes better than already being entrenched in something. So I I can appreciate that point of view. So uh, what are some other things that you're working on right now? Uh, So, uh, you know, we sort of talked about the restoration banking and and we've gotten our our first uh, application, what we call a prospectus. So we're working through that and and some of the restoration planning on uh, on the natural resource damage side. And of course, there are all the issues associated with uh, mid-barataria and our sediment diversions and um, just sort of any anything coastal restoration related. I'm I'm working on it or or, uh, working closely with other people who who are in the trenches as well. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that we do face? I mean, you you think about it from a legal perspective. Is it policy? Is it laws? Is it just our environment? What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that we face? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, certainly on on the permitting side of things, we have some ways to go in terms of laws uh, and policy and, and just getting folks to think of uh, large-scale ecosystem restoration projects a little bit differently from sort of your industrial or your commercial project, right, mm-hmm. on the permitting side, because we're really trying to restore the environment and not intending to do anything to to injure the environment. And so that, that's one thing that, that we're working through and, and we spend a lot of time on, uh, certainly. 
So, yeah, I, I think, you know, when we think about, you know, when other people think about some of these complex projects, they they um, seem to harm the environment. But in our case, we're actually trying to restore it. And so it's really hard to apply some of the same policies and laws to that. Um, so, you know, do you think that's an educational thing? Do you think that is, um, you know, is it is just it just trying to tell people about Louisiana's problem and how we are different? Or what do you think that the challenge is there? Or is it just the climate's not right? Or You know, I, I, yeah, education is, is always important. I think the more pe- the more we can get folks to understand, you know, the dynamics of our coast and also the importance of our coast is, is really critical. But it's also outreach, and it's, it's listening to the folks that live on the coast and listening to the fishermen and, and the shrimping industry and the shipping industry. I mean, everyone really has a stake in coastal restoration, and everyone has a voice. And, and there's, there's a way that we can bring everybody together and, and accomplish the same goals and, and understand that doing nothing is not an option. So we all, all sort of need to work together both, you know, from an educational perspective and a policy pr- perspective um, to, to do what, whatever we can to advance coastal restoration and protection as well. And Megan, um, so you went to LSU for your undergrad, and then also you got your law degree there, and you mentioned you were interested in environmental law. Do you see more people becoming interested in environmental law, and what advice would you give to someone who might be in law school kind of wanting to pursue a career um, in environmental law? Yeah, you know, I think I do, and and see see people interested in environmental law, but also sort of specifically coastal Louisiana, and and uh, certainly I would definitely in, encourage people in law school to focus on that area. I think it's one that um, is really innovative, and 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 we're always looking at at new challenges and and we need new faces there, and and the same is true in in other fields as well. I know CPRA works closely with um, the School of Engineering to try to really get those. Uh, young students interested in, in coastal Louisiana and engineering and, and keeping their efforts here in Louisiana. And they need more talkers like me and Jacques. I mean, that's what we do. We just talk, right? <laughs> we uh, we were cheerleaders for yeah, the, the right. geniuses uh, that are out there doing the work. Well, Megan, we are very appreciative that you were able to come on with us today. Uh, we would love to have you back, uh, when, especially as you develop this a little bit more. If you want to talk about, uh, if you want to come talk to us before session, too, that would always be great. Um, so thank you for being on with us. So we do have one more fun question. We want to know what the baby boys will be dressing up for as Halloween. Uh, we have a Thor and a Loki. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. so funny, brothers, right? <laughs> Very That's cute. Right. Twins. <laughs> Very cute. Well, thank you, Megan, for being on with us. We, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Megan. Jacques, right. what else we have coming up? Well, uh, the next two episodes are actually going to be great. We're going to be exploring a lot of different topics, um, but really focusing on um, some documentaries that were produced by Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, um, focusing on coastal issues. So um, we're going to have kind of the vice president of content for Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities on, one of the lead producers, I guess, to talk about it. And then we're doing an event um, on October 18th at the New Orleans Advocate as part of the New Orleans Film Festival um, where they're going to premiere the documentaries, and we're going to do a little panel before. So we're going to see if we can record cool. we, the will panel. Will we know some people in those films? Yeah, you know, some familiar faces. You probably know more than I do. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I got a sneak peek, I will say. And, and they're really well done. And just 
Um, one, for example, shows uh, the perspective of New Orleans, um, you know, drainage a drainage pump from the oh. perspective of a high school student. And she just really wants to understand how this all works. Um, and there's this great scene where she kind of is, you know, visiting a pumping station and then she goes outside of the levee system. And Denise Reed, who we've had on the show, yeah. talks about um, what it's like be- living outside the levee and how the drainage works there versus inside the levee. So really important, timely um, uh, topics told from a very human and, um, you know, engaging perspective. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and if you want to catch past episodes or this episode, uh, you can check out those on www.deltadispatches.org. This is Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. And this is Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. Thank you for listening to another episode of Delta Dispatches. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you soon.